tuned into Psychic Parrot, the podcast about amazing animals and the strange power of pets with Al and Fred. Hello everyone, welcome to Psychic Parrots, the show about pets and their amazing abilities. I am Frederick Ekhoff, with me is Alistair Goodwin. Hello. And today we're talking about dogs in space, Al. We are talking about dogs in space and we're talking about just generalized dog factoids. Generalized dog factoids. <laughs> All right. There are some amazing things I didn't know about dogs. I'm a dog lover. You're a dog lover. I don't think there's many non-dog lover. Favorite dog? Uh, oh, you put me in a tight spot here. It's probably a Labrador, but I'm also soft to uh, the cocker spaniel um, kind of uh, vibe. The lassie has scared me and my family in my youth. So scared you? <laughs> yeah, it was an aggressive lassie. Every lassie dog is a lassie. Yeah, that's true. They bear the burden of being uh, a righteous dog yeah. in a cruel world. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fire it off with some dog facts, isn't it? Yeah, here we go. Just your basic, probably knew it, but maybe you didn't, dog facts. So... 30,000 years ago, Ice Age Europe, the wolf got domesticated into what we know as the dog. 30,000 years. So 28,000 years before, so that we were living in uh, tents, uh, caves. Cave? The, the Ice Age, man. I guess we were living in igloos. That's yeah. an idea. There is a weird human-animal bond. Like, it's we do better together. Yeah. Dogs and humans. They're a good team. Yeah, it's not a one-way street. It's not as thought a one-way street. So, Fred, what dog is most closely related to the wolf that's running around today that isn't a wolf? That must be the the, the those that pulls the sleds, sled dogs. German Shepherd? No, no, it's oh. the Shih Tzu. Isn't it tiny? <laughs> I'll show you a picture. It is tiny. <laughs> but genetically, the closest relative of the wolf on the planet right now, 52 million dogs. 52 million individuals alive. And would you believe that half of those are homeless dogs? We're outnumbering them quite a lot, aren't we? Yeah. If there would ever be a dog revolution, which I think is imminent. Well, according... I, I would I would state a case for it after reading this. I learned some terrifying and fascinating things about dogs. <laughs> but half of them are stray or free-ranging dogs, which... I assume is a wild dog. It's an ancestor of a do- domesticated dog. And how many breeds of dog do you reckon there are? How does one qualify? The ingredients for dogs. How many different dog ingredients are there? Mm. Golden Retriever, Poodle, like how many of these mm. are there? 72. You lowballed it. It's, <laughs> it's 340. It's 340 different types, and that's recognized by the World Canine Organization. And the Organization for Canines of the World puts the number also at 340. 340. And then the Labradoodle and those guys, they, they're out of this. They'll all be a wolf or a African savannah hound or something like that. I don't know how many original breeds there would be. 340. 340. <laughs> We got the number right there on the computer. It's not like the old days where we didn't have the answer and had to speculate. I'm not speculating this information. 
this is hard, hard, this is hard Wikipedia facts. facts. Yeah, uh, no, none of this information was taken from Wikipedia. I would right. like you to know. All right, next so, non-Wikipedia fact: rarest dog in the world is a dandy Dinmont Terrier. And it is now rarer than a giant panda. But why are they in decline? No passion in the doghouse. Yeah, like, because surely you can make more dogs quite easier than you can make more pandas. Well, maybe just no one wants to. Maybe they're really ugly or very impractical. <laughs> Must be some something with the genetic uh, inbreed uh, thing that you can't, you don't really get healthy ones. And but they were in vogue at one point. One of them was owned by Queen Victoria. Wee, it's a posh dog. It is a posh dog. Maybe that's it, to elitist. Yeah, sounds okay. like it. Sounds sounds like they have the same problems as, as humans do. Largest dog. Sorry, I shouldn't clap. Just <laughs> getting a bit excited. I apologize. <laughs> All right, largest dog. Is it the Danish? Uh, da- oh, uh, what's that called? It's the English Mastiff. A hundred to a, about a meter ish. Tall. Tall, and weighs between sixty-eight and one hundred and ten kgs. 110 kilo dogs. Yeah, heavier than you or I, I would suspect, Frank. We could ride it. You could. Both. <laughs> Such a massive dog. And I'm like, like comparing that to the smallest dog, which is the... Chichitsu. It's the Chihuahua. Chihuahua. <laughs> I had it. Which can weigh between 0.9 and 2.7 kgs. Jesus so Christ. And most intelligent dogs? Poodle? Yep. And... Least... Border Collies. Border Collies. Least intelligent. I should have looked that up. <laughs> Why didn't you look that up? <laughs> That's an impossible how do, question. How do you <laughs> measure that? The least intelligent dog breed. I would hazard a guess at maybe the pug. <laughs> That's probably a controversial answer. How do you me- measure intelligence of a dog? It's just how many tricks it can learn. How? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of it, but that's how you measure human intelligence too. Yeah, it is. Our capacity to get treats. <laughs> more and more advanced <laughs> tasks to get those god darn treats. We're very similar to dogs, I must say. And, yeah, another great fact from the internet, that Labradors are the friendliest dog in India. In India, specifically, specifically they're very... Specifically, they're recognized as very friendly Indian Labradors. In India. Like, of all the Labradors, <laughs> the Indian Labrador is the friendliest. <laughs> the world's friendliest dog, the, in- the Indian Labrador. Uh, India's friendliest dog, yes. So if someone from Greece goes on holiday to India with their Greek Labrador, then it'll be seen as a bit of a grouch. Yeah. <laughs> Get depressed by the, about. By the yeah. other <laughs> partying Labradors. No, friendly, not necessarily partying. Yeah. Oh, imagine that. A shy Labrador. Compar- <laughs> introvert. <laughs> Comparatively introvert Labrador yeah. by the standard of Indian Labradors. <laughs> not living up to its kind. Oh, sad. Oh. That's why Labradors <laughs> are my favorites, because they're just seen as the personification of happy. They dog, are, and that's why we like dogs, isn't it? The happiest go luckiest. Mm. Oh, it's amazing. All the, of all the 340. Yeah, much more so than, say, wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Sled dogs. <laughs> dogs. <laughs> yeah, the, your mates were the Rockweiler. You're like, mm, but if you're like, hey, my mate, the Labrador's coming over. Oh, like, people are happy about that. Or a pit bull, like, it's the equivalent of, oh, that dog deals drugs. Or worse, the owner deals drugs. <laughs> It's weird, because the owner-dog divide yeah. membrane seems to be <laughs> loosening. There's a, there's a breed for every kind of person, I guess. 
We'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> all right, all right. Next dog fact. Um, so, yeah, this is the last one. Um, this is an estimated one million dogs in the US have been named as the primary beneficiary of their owner's will, meaning that when somebody dies, they've named in their last will and testament that the dog gets most of their stuff. <laughs> it's everything. Remember, I saw that in Black Books. Uh, it's pretty serious. That the cat was the owner of the fortune, but it's a classic thing, isn't it? Rich, rich pets. I gotta do a rich pets episode. A dog really shows that money isn't everything, doesn't it? They only need a little bit of of treats, and then they need need a lot of attention. But I guess they can a, a good dog trainer can be bought. So <laughs> you reckon that's what the money goes towards? Like they said. Um, He's getting all the money, and I want it to be spent on him meeting Caesar Milano. <laughs> this is just a few things about what you probably would be quite surprised by. Aspects of dogs in general that I wasn't aware of, and maybe you weren't aware of. That, like number one, is that dogs have a sense of time. So uh, it knows when it's time for dinner. It knows when it's, there's a walk, and when you think perhaps that it barks when you come home regardless just because you've come home or it barks because it's been waiting for you and actually experienced that waiting time or it's just in there doing its own doggy stuff it's been it's, barking the whole it, time it, it would it does actually experience that knowledge of how much time has passed and so and that's why dogs respond so differently to when you've been away for much longer mm. you know i really felt they had they had the 24 hours down, but not much more. Or could remember most stuff, but... Well, I thought it was quite amazing. And dogs dogs have sweat glands. You know how I just thought they always sweat out of their mouths? That's kind of like... Mm-hmm. But on their feet. They sweat through their they feet They sweat through well. their feet. And that's why you put like cold water on their feet in summer and it'll cool them down. Ah. <laughs> Which is yeah, handy dog info. That's why they're so slippery on parquet. It's always moist. But they're always dry, those feet, though. I don't get it. Yeah, it's because it's hot. But they don't. They sweat when it's hot. Wait. Yeah. yeah. I suppose they don't leave prints on the floor, do they? No, sweat prints. They would leave sweat prints, and they don't. Maybe when they're particularly hot. <laughs> <laughs> so a dog can effectively smell a change in your feelings. Smell. Like, if you're nervous, you sweat more, and a dog can perceive that. Huh. And uh, apparently, although this one is pushes me to the limit of dog belief, but that they can detect certain diseases, like that a dog can, can let you know if you're ill, or a dog can, <laughs> can't let you know, it can just know that you're ill, <laughs> in the same way that it can know if somebody's pregnant. Oh, yeah, because of all that smelling information. But how does it process that cross? Then it'll know that a you know, squirrel is pregnant as well or what? Yeah, but I think it just knows. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, oh, you smell different. Yeah. And it so what it does is it knows that you smell different, but it doesn't know why you smell different. It just knows right. that, that if it knew why... Or, then or if it had that one extra connect, it would be able to tell you, yeah... It's pregnant, but no one's sort of asking it, or it's not thinking to tell you. I don't know. I I found that very confusing, but yeah, I guess it might be a thing. I guess it does, though. Yeah, but it's a funny thing to say. Like these were some yeah, some interesting facts. But <laughs> deep within, 
the internet, I guess. And dogs get jealous. Like, this was done by getting 36 dogs from 14 different breeds, and the dog, if you just ignored your dog, it was fine, it was just dogging along. But then if they brought in a fake dog, and you started playing with this fake dog... (laughs) In a large case of um, the percentage, they would then get really angry and start like attacking the fake dog. <laughs> Classic dog behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Jealousy is one of the the big dog feelings. And here's a great one: dogs feel no guilt. They cannot feel guilt. So this lady called Alexander Howowitz from Barnard College in New York found all dogs looked guilty after being told off for eating a forbidden treat like a biscuit. But for those who were wrongly accused often looked more guilty than those who really deserved <laughs> to be accused. What do they then feel if they look like that? Are this Confusion, I guess. It's like if you're accused of a crime you didn't commit, you start acting guilty because you just panic and go into berserk mode. But if they don't even know what guilt is, they eat the cookie before they think about it. I don't know. I think it's more like they can look guilty, but they don't feel guilty. They yeah. just I think they've come up with the idea that you need to look like that when you've just eaten a cookie. You're not supposed to. Also, dogs can see UV light and can sense the Earth's magnetic field. The Earth's magnetic field? How do you know if a dog senses that? How do you measure that? Yeah. I guess you hold a magnet to them. It's feeling it. <laughs> yeah, just get them to get the magnet, boy. Get the magnet. Which one of these two biscuits is magnetic? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Can you sense that, boy? Yeah. <laughs> Take them to Iceland. You see that? See aurora borealis. Somebody said that they can hear some of the ultrasonic waves that a bat can use to navigate in the dark. That the dogs can hear that. Yeah. Yeah, with ear hearing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. As opposed to smell hearing. No, but for the bats, is that does that go through their ears as well? Yeah, that's yeah. That's out through the mouth and in through the ears. Mm-hmm. I guess. Right. But, but I don't know if dogs can do that. Here's one for your dog owners. Tail wagging has its own language. So if a dog is wagging its tail to the right, they're happy. If to the left, they're a bit afraid. And a low wag means they're feeling insecure. No, it makes sense. I I recognize all these from my own dog experience. Dog experience. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> As they call it on the professional language. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> so you could read your dog's left and right tail information. I didn't actually check what was left and what was right, but definitely do a lot of reading of tail. Help me with this picture. So what was the type of dog? The wagger? Yeah. I I don't have an exact example on it now. I, I think, I guess it's, uh, I've learned a lot through setter, English setters, and the Cocker Spaniels, um, and the uh, Retrievers or Labradors. It also learned me dog communication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true though, you can... You can converse with a dog on some level, I believe. (laughs) Like, or at least it feels like it. And yeah, I think after doing this research, I do kind of feel a bit weirder about dogs. Um, (laughs) Yeah, some of it is, yeah, this was a roller coaster for me. (laughs) (laughs) So small dogs have more dreams than big dogs. What? 
a small dog will have a dream once every 10 minutes and a big dog around an hour between each dream. Huh. Big dogs live longer than small dogs? Small dogs live longer than big dogs. Small dogs dogs live longer and dream faster. Jesus. They just experience more, huh? Yeah. That's it. The life of a small dog. (laughs) That's where we want to go. So what percentage of dogs would you say are left port? Does it even exist, left and right port? Apparently it does. Uh, uh, Yeah, dominant (laughs) port. Dominant (laughs) port. I don't know. Is it 20? It's actually evenly split between left and right port. What? And no, but it's a third left, a third right, and a third that have no preference, that are ambidextrous. Ah. I I bring this up because dogs who are right-footed are more likely to um, be guide dogs than uh, southpaws or left-handed dogs, left-port dogs. As a right-handed dog, right-legged dog, port dog, um, is more bolder and more inquisitive and left-handed dogs are more aggressive. Let's paw dogs. <laughs> and here's the one we were talking about earlier with the think you look like your dog, like or think you have the semblance of your dog. So pets have been shown to match their partners, their partners, yeah, their owners, partners, um, in personality and looks. And psychologists believe this might be spilled over from the way we evolved to find mates like how you would choose your mate, you would also choose your dog on a similar kind of uh-huh. preferential thing. So, uh, you know, you know, for your own compatibility. Right. Like, not genetic compatibility. but Makes like, sense. Yeah. And that dogs respond to the hu- same, to human crying in the same way that they respond to a whining dog because they've been scanning dogs with MRIs recently. So they've learned. So they feel the same thing. Ah. For a whining dog. And this other funny thing, I saw this uh, study, this was on YouTube, that you can make a dog yawn by yawning. (laughs) (laughs) I have to try that. (laughs) That I thought was really, like, it's weird. It's like, that's what I'm saying. This sort of doggy, doggy human membrane. It's very thin. Um, (laughs) And dogs are not colorblind. They see in color. That's a myth. Yeah. Uh But it's, it's similar to like how good your vision is at dusk. Well, we're back to a segment I like to call Good Boy Chaser, Good Boy, (laughs) (laughs) which is about an 86-year-old retired psychologist called John Pilly, who has worked with this dog five hours a day, five days a week, and has now given this dog the same or similar capabilities to what a two-year-old could do. And this is Chaser. This is Chaser. So your average two-year-old knows about 300 to 350 words. Chaser knows 1,000 words. But this is how she knows them. So they get a toy and write a name on it. I don't know, Bozo the Clown or whatever. Put down thousands of these toys and then say, go get Bozo. And she goes and gets Bozo. I think that's pretty amazing. How does she communicate with these toys then? She doesn't. She just knows them. So she's learnt the word. Ah, uh, learnt them. Ah, uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, she's yeah. learnt these words. I follow. And knows a thousand different toys based <laughs> on what they're called. 
spray for Mojo. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was more like, yeah, proper talking. Oh, sorry, I should have specified. She doesn't speak the language <laughs> of of human. But, but also, she's learnt verbs. You could be like, take bozo, or poor bozo. Like, put your paw on him, or put your nose on him, and she knows the difference in those as well. What kind of dog is Bozo? No, not Bozo. Yeah, Bozo. Chaser. Chaser. Bozo. Bozo. Oh. <laughs> that was my example toy name. Um, <laughs> she's a collie. Collie, yeah. Yeah, and so it's just this weird, like, inferential reasoning, which is, they sort of demonstrated it, that, like, if you get, oh, two cups and a ball, and you put the ball under one of the cups, and you ask a two-year-old pointing which one which one is the ball under and they can't do it they don't understand that pointing means there's balls under there yeah dogs have trouble with pointing as well chaser does not have any problems with that (laughs) learned pointing at least can point can uh, chaser point and so this is yeah inferential reasoning and they think this is done because of the shared evolution of dogs and humans 30,000 years of uh, alignment. Exactly. Yeah, I just think that's amazing what this dog's been up to. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it continued on with this stuff about putting dogs in MRIs. So MRIs? Have, uh, one of those sort of things. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, brainwaves thing. Yeah, and they have to train dogs to sit still for 40 minutes. It's horrible. <laughs> I've been in one. I, when they were saying we put dogs in MRIs, I was like, you bastard. <laughs> but they give them earmuffs and... And so they were looking to see whether or not dogs actually love you or they just respond when they see you. Because oh, yeah. they know the response is wag your tail and jump up and down. How do you know whatever. the difference between that? Can you read their brains? Yeah, like so what they did was get some sweat of a stranger and put it in front of the dog's nose. And the dog's like sensory stuff would activate, but it would just be like no real response. But then when they got their owner's sweat and put it next to its nose... It had a response in its what's called caudate nucleus, or like its reward center. And it's the same part of the brain that lights up in a human or a dog that is when you're in anticipation of seeing a loved one or your favorite song is playing. So that same feeling is what they feel when they smell you. (laughs) And so there's this kind of idea that, yeah, they get this release of oxytocin. Like, so when a dog's looking at you... It's sort of like it's hugging you with its eyes <laughs> because it's getting a, a, an oxytocin release. And what oxytocin is, is the what, what are they called? Uh, whatever. The thing that gets released in your brain. Uh, Makes you happy. Yeah, oxytocin. It's the same as what bonds a mother to its child. Mm. Like the same, oh, I don't know, endorphins or whatever the hell it's called. Family. Brain yeah. liquids. Brain liquids, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> like you can actually test... You can test how smart your dog is on this website that they've come up with. <laughs> Which, what? Which is called Dognition. Dognition? Like Cognition. <laughs> and dogs have different types of intelligence. So, like, you can test if it's empathic, if it's an empathic dog, a cunning dog, or, you know, any sort of dog. But it also kind of says that Chaser is not like. A very super smart dog. It's not the Nikolai Tesla of dogs. Just a well-trained dog. He's just a dog. Like Mm. and yeah, and they would just think nobody thought ah dogs. They'll be the ones that can uh, do this. They've always just been 
trying different animals. Yeah, oh. monkeys and people who are keen on monkeys and parrots. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that segues us quite nicely onto our next story of amazing dogs, although this dog didn't choose to be amazing. Before we go to the pets of the Earth, we have to see the pets in orbit. And we're going to space. We are going to space with Laika. The, uh, for some amazing, for others uh, uh, poor, poor uh, creature uh, of uh, intergalactic oh. orbit. But an amazing achievement for something that didn't know what it was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think if Laika had been aware of what was going on, she would have... Made, I don't know. I don't think I would have... Uh, I wouldn't have uh, volunteered. But I guess maybe if... If uh, if uh, if uh, your master species would suggest for you to shot out into the unknown and never return uh, and then get all the recognition forever and ever, yeah. I don't think ever any living being would do that. But this was for the party. This was for Mother Russia. Yeah, <laughs> this was an ideal. Like this is the shared community. Someone had to step forward. <laughs> Some dog. Yeah, just a good citizen. Yeah. A good comrade. All right, so let's hear about the Leica space program. So, hotly contested what type of dog Leica was. I couldn't find a straight answer. Street breed. Yeah, mongrel, but what type of mongrel? Like mm. you said, like what mix of breeds, of the 340 breeds. Mm. On the on the picture, I did, it's got a little terrier kind of vibe to it, but maybe not. Well, there's a consensus for husky, but it's... Definitely not a husky. It doesn't look like a husky. (laughs) I think maybe that's just Russian propaganda as well. Mm. Like, why not make sure that it's a little bit Russian? Like, Mm. you want a Russian dog to do a Russian job. Yeah, so a stray dog as well was reasoning. So they weren't, you know, going for anything in particular. They just wanted the mongrels. How did they come up with this? When did this happen? And then... This was in the late 50s they were starting this. They were. They came up with the idea to send a dog into space. Yeah. Well, they instead set up, of a pig. Well, no. They sent up <laughs> Sputnik One. Yeah. And were successful, and then that kind of lit the fuse of space fever. Mm-hmm. And then the space race was definitely on. Yeah. Like it was only months later that they were like, right, let's uh, strap a dog to a rocket. So it's a very short time span from the decision of send us dog up until the dog is actually sent up. But the crazy thing is that, like, there was no fanfare pre-Lyca going up. Secrecy. Yeah, but I don't know if they even think it was secrecy. It's more like they they hadn't considered it. They were sending up research equipment, mm. and one of those pieces of research equipment was a dog called Lyca. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like, terrible. Yeah, I know, it's dark, but <laughs> it's it's how it was, apparently. So the yeah the only stipulation for these dogs though was that they so Leica went oh, sorry Leica went up with Sputnik two Sputnik two wow yeah it's cargo mm. um, but she had a chance because females they had to be females for designing the suits and they had to be no heavier than six kg no taller than thirty five centimeters because of the tininess of Sputnik two. Yeah, but it's also because male dogs have to cock their leg to take a piss, and a female dog doesn't. <laughs> so apparently that was somewhere in the brief thinking of it. Like, yeah. It's not because they couldn't con- make a container for the nuts. Yeah, I think it's just laziness, I guess. Yeah, it was thought that because they grew up on the mean streets, 
that they would be better suited to tolerate the trauma of space flight? The tougher dogs? Like, they've been through more? This is a very short... Quick reasoning, yeah, I think. Yeah, like you've got cosmic radiation, high G-forces and weightlessness. And for some reason, yeah, we'll get to the stray dogs will be better at this. And anyone who's seen uh, a dog on New Year's Eve know that it's probably the worst nightmare of any dog to be actually be inside one. It's like the worst being inside ever. It's like, go inside. It's like, well, go, go inside this rocket and I'm going to shoot you into space. Get in your basket. <laughs> yeah, like Americans were using monkeys, but Russians were like, they're too unstable and fidgety. We Americans can't. sent up monkeys. No, that, that was there because everyone was trying to send stuff into space. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. as soon as they, America just didn't get as far as yet, but they obviously had plans. As soon as they heard the dog was sent up, they yeah. were just like, Bobo. Yeah. Down. Eat yeah. the banana. Get in the basket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the monkeys refuse to get in the basket. You can never tell. Uh, mm. You have, always have to use reverse psychology, I think. <sighs> don't get in the basket. <laughs> yeah, whatever you do. Don't take the banana in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing. Like, dog becomes base man's best friend. Mm-hmm. So, like a was one of 10 dogs to complete the special space training course. I can only imagine what that involved. <laughs> it's probably a three-minute uh, propaganda video made. Spinning dogs around, like... <laughs> Teaching it not to get afraid when the rocket starts. Yeah, like, what do you do to a dog to get it prepped to go to space? <laughs> and then, yeah, they selected three, so lucky old Laika <laughs> got to go up. And she had... Albina was her understudy, and they had what's called a technological dog called Mushka, which the ground crew could test the satellite's life support systems on. Mushka, I think, probably got the better deal. And Yeah, who lived and who didn't? Well, who knows? It doesn't actually mention Mushka, but I'm sure if the dog was dying, they would let it out, whereas in space they didn't have that option. <laughs> oh. So this was yeah, going up in 1957 Sput- Sputnik 2. Laika was just another item on board, listed along with... Air conditioning system, food supply, research equipment for studying light functions in the conditions of outer space, and an experimental animal. <laughs> experimental animal, not experiment animal? Experimental? I suppose dog, a dog <laughs> in space is an experimental animal. Yeah, it is. A radical <laughs> animal. A radical new animal. So Sputnik space satellite was launched from... Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. Is that oh. good pronunciation? Very good. Uh, November the 3rd, 1957. And then this is where the myth and reality of what happened to Laika diverge. So the Russians kept it pretty quiet for a quite, till 2002, actually, to what actually happened to Laika. What they said was that she died a national hero and that she orbited the Earth seven times and then was euthanized, like, pleasantly. I don't know how pleasantly that can happen. It's not actually what happened. So, for the first few hours after the launch, like, his heart was beating normally, the cabin pressure was fine, I guess, and the sort of everything was going okay. But then, like, they guess they weren't paying so much attention on the ground and the humidity and temperature sort of increased. And then after five hours, um, the telemetry failed, and then the, it overheated, and, and that was it. But, like, she was never coming down. 
because they were just going to use Because it was decided place. from before, before that she wasn't going to return. Yeah. And Dr. Dmitry Melenchenskov of Russia's Institute of Biomedical Problems said that it actually did over 2,500 orbits of the Earth and then burned up in the atmosphere in, a year later. Wow. And around 13 dogs between 1957 and 1996 were sent up. 13 dogs. Yeah, but they started wanting to bring them back down. It was yeah, like, <laughs> it was only Leica. It was the only planned failure. Mm-hmm. And so this guy called Oleg, sorry, Oleg Gazenko, a leading scientist during the Soviet animals in space program, as they call it, he, he reckoned that the more time passes, the more I'm sorry about it. We did not learn enough from the mission to justify the death of a dog. Oh. And only four other dogs died. And they were Bars, Lisitra, Plelka, and Mushka. They died because the recovery went badly, and a couple died on the launch pad. But, yeah, so celebrated as a mother in the USSR, um, but in the counter-propaganda, she was described as the fuzziest, loneliest, unhappiest dog in the world. Laika. Yeah, that was the London Times reported her as that. <laughs> and they said that she stood... She stood as a symbol of the ruthless Soviet pursuit of technological progress over animal welfare. Yeah, it's a controversial decision. I didn't know that 12 others were sent up after them. But then they sent up a couple more, and like it seemed like you got Leica gets top of the podium, but then there's these other ones called Belka and Strelka. They went up um, in 1960... And a live broadcast showed them merrily spinning in zero gravity, <laughs> apparently. Like, Got to see that. And they returned safely to a wave of affection and, according to one source, all the sausages they could eat. <laughs> oh. And then they were sent on a little um, tour around Russia. And one had a little red spacesuit and one had a little green spacesuit. Oh. Nikita Khrushchev, you know, the leader of the... USSR at the time said, Belka and Stelka with strays. <laughs> the Soviet Union discovered that strays did better in space than other dogs. They were genetically orientated to survive. Mr. Bond. Mr. Bond. Yeah, and actually when these guys had puppies, they sent one of them to President Kennedy. Now this a bit of a fuck you. <laughs> I want, is this a myth? Is this real? That's legit. Ah. And the Americans never sent a baby monkey back. Oh. The monkeys never did anything, though. They were just rascals. So these guys got in the propaganda machine hard. They put Liker and Belker and Stryker everywhere. Mm-hmm. One little happy nugget of joy from this whole harrowing bit is that in Soviet schools, they started doing lessons on how to be kind to stray dogs. <laughs> and the price of mixed puppies doubled. And they said, after all, any mongrel, if it wasn't too big, could be a cosmonaut. (laughs) But none of them would want to, though. Weird, isn't it? It is very absurd. But I guess if they wanted to prove they could send something up, they got to send something up. How much later was the first human sent then? Not far. No. It was only a couple of years. It was not far off that Yuri Gagarin uh, went off. Yeah, and they planned for him to return, right? Yeah, well, (laughs) I think that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. It's flat, man. But somewhere in this reading, I learned 
superstitions for Russian cosmonauts before they go into space now, based on what Yuri Gagarin did. All right. And so before they go into space, they have to go to Yuri Gagarin's office, even though he's dead, and ask his permission to oh, go into right. space. They also pee on the wheel of the bus that brings them to the space rocket. And if it's a female, then she's allowed to bring a cup of urine to throw on it. Russians are cool. <laughs> they got their habits. Yeah. I like it. But sad for the dogs. <laughs> but sad for the dogs, yeah. But that's it. That's all the information I have exhausted from myself on the subject of dogs and why they are possibly interesting. And why they're in space. All right, that's all we have for this episode of Psychic Parrots. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you, everyone. I'm Frederick Ekhoff. With me is Alistair Goodwin. K9 Ranger. We are a Psychic Parrot. Thank you.